Well, today we wrap up with chapter 6 in the book of Hebrews, and you probably remember uh, that the first part of chapter 6 is a strong warning. Uh, not a pleasant place to be. It's a, a, a warning that is very weighty, uh, hard to hear. And it's a, a warning against apostasy, against the intentional, persistent, determined rejection of Jesus and his gospel for those who have professed faith in him. However, this is, is not where the writer of Hebrews leaves us. Uh, for he says, verse 9, that he is sure of better things for us, things that belong to salvation. Uh, he wants us to be confident in our salvation and to have, verse 11, full assurance of hope. And so we see that there's a shift in the chapter as he moves from warning to encouragement. Well, encouragement is at the, the very heart of Hebrews 6, verses 13 to 20, now, which is uh, the passage that we're going to be in this morning. And through this assurance and encouragement, the writer says that he wants us to become imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit God's promises. And so, before we hear this part of God's word, uh, let's go to him in prayer. Well, Lord God, we do thank you uh, once again for speaking to us through your word, uh, your word that is living and active. And we ask now that by it, through the power of your spirit, that you would pierce our hearts with the truth and grace of your gospel. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so now hear the word of God uh, from Hebrews chapter 6, and for the sake of context, we'll begin with verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but may be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement 
to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this is God's word. Well, again, we come to a shift, a shift in in chapter 6 where the writer moves from warning uh, to encouragement for those of us who have fled to Jesus for refuge. And and the larger question, really, that the author is getting at is, is this. Can I really trust God? Can I really trust Him? And the resounding answer is yes. Yes, you can. And then the writer gives us three reasons that we can trust God. We can trust Him because of His Word, His character, and His Son. God's Word, God's character, and God's Son. And so first, we can trust God because of His Word. God's Word, verses 13 to 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He swore by his own name, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Well, what's the writer doing here? Well, he's taking us back. Taking us all the way back to the very beginning. Taking us back to Genesis, back to Abraham, back to the promise that God made to him. Now, of course, uh, many, if not most of you, are familiar with with Abraham, uh, a pivotal figure in the Bible. Uh, In fact, his story takes up 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, uh, from chapters 12 through 25. Uh, In there, we see that God established his covenant with Abraham. And it's in the very promises that God made to Abraham that we, as Christians, find our hope. In Romans 4, Paul calls Abraham our father in the faith. In Romans 9 and Galatians 3, Paul explains that for those who belong to Christ, that we are Abraham's offspring, that we are heirs according to promise. And what did God promise to Abraham? Well, God had promised Abraham a son. And not only that, but then God promised to Abraham that through this son that he would become the father of many nations. And then God repeats this promise, renews this promise over and over. Uh, Saying this to Abraham in Genesis 12, 13, 15, 17, 18. And Abraham, his wife Sarah, had to wait patiently. They had to persevere through many, many difficult, difficult years. Until finally, as we read one day in Genesis 21, finally the promised son was born. Isaac was born. Now do you remember how old Abraham was at this point? He was a hundred. A hundred years old. Sarah uh, pushing a hundred as well. 
And, and every time I, I, I now come across Abraham and Sarah, I just can't help but think of my grandmother. So my grandmother lived to be 101, almost 102. And I just have this, this picture of how crazy it would have been that if my grandmother, in assisted living, had somehow been barren and then yet at the same time gave birth to a son in her old age. I mean, it, it, no way. It's ridiculous. And humanly speaking, that's the point. There was no way that Abraham and Sarah could have a child. Because the point is this, is that with God, all things are possible. Not with man, but with God, they are. And so here in Hebrews 6, uh, verses 13 to 15, recall a particular episode that comes even later in Abraham's life. Because these verses point directly to Genesis 22. We're now, after all these years of, of wondering and, and waiting and trusting and struggling, after all these years, now Abraham is facing a new challenge, and it is one that is more difficult and heartbreaking than anything he could have ever imagined and anything that he's ever faced before. And so it's about 20 years after Isaac's birth. And God asks... Abraham, do you still trust me? And Abraham says, yes, yes, Lord, I do. And then God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Now, you, you know the story. And what happens? Well, Abraham and Isaac uh, go to the mountain uh, that God points out to them, shows them. Uh, Isaac notices on the way, he notices that, that they have wood and they have fire, but, but there's no lamb for the sacrifice. And so he asks, Dad, where, where's the lamb? And Abraham replies, God will provide. And finally, after getting everything ready, Abraham binds Isaac and, and lays him on the altar. And you can just imagine the, the heart-wrenching pain in this moment that Abraham lifts this knife and is about to take the life of his son. Until all of a sudden God says, stop. Stop. And God provides a lamb for the offering. But do we remember what happens right after that? Because this is the very next thing that we read in Genesis 22. And so an angel of the Lord appears and says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. And because of this, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And that's the promise to Abraham, which is also the promise to us, to those of us who are in Christ. God gave his word to Abraham, and God was faithful to keep it. God gives his word to us, and he is faithful to keep it. And so first, 
We can trust God because of his word. Well, second, second, we can trust God because of his character. God's character. Now, verses 16 to 18. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to Jesus for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Well, as you can see, God's word and God's character, they're closely tied together. In fact, so much so that they're really inseparable. And because the very reason that we can trust God's word is because of who God is. Because of his character. In fact, the two unchangeable things mentioned in verse 18 are God's word and God's character. God's word, that is his promise and oath as presented here. Also God's character, uh, seen in part by the fact that he cannot lie and that his purpose does not change. Now think about it. When someone gives you your word, if you trust them, why is it that you trust them? Somebody gives you their word. Why is it that you trust them? Well, it's probably because you know them well. You've spent time with them over the years. You've seen them uh, keep their word consistently, even and especially in in difficult situations. Uh, You know that they are honest and reliable. And so you trust them. You take them at their word because you trust their character. Well, it's the same with God, going all the way back to Abraham and even before that. And, and you know, we often can see someone's character in the way that we treat others. Well, we've got a, a picture of that here. Uh, look, look at how God treats us, uh, as we can see in these few verses. So it says in verse 17, we, we see that God guaranteed his promise with an oath. God guaranteed his promise with an oath. Okay, think about that for a moment. God did not need to swear an oath. I mean, this is God we're talking about. His word is his word. He cannot lie. His promises always come true. And so why? Why would God add an oath to his promise? Well, what does it say in these verses? It says that he did it to encourage us. He swore an oath so that we who have fled to Jesus for refuge, verse 18, might have strong encouragement. He did it because, verse 17, he desired to convince our hearts more and more of his promise to us, to us who in Christ are heirs of the promise. As one commentator puts it, God recognizes how weak we are, how many doubts we have, 
And so he gives us an extra layer of assurance. He swore this oath to show more convincingly to us the unchangeable character of his purpose. In other words, what we see is that God's oath is an act of grace. It's an act of grace toward us, okay? Not not because his word is in doubt, but because we are so often in doubt. And it's in this act of grace that we can more see, that we can more clearly see God's character. And as we see his character more clearly, we are then more able to, to more fully cling to him, to cling to the hope that is before us. And so we can trust God because of his word and his character. Well, there's a third reason that we can trust him. We can trust God because of his son. God's son, verses 19 to 20. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, what what great imagery here. An anchor. An anchor for the soul. Okay, and, and, and here's the thing, that we all have an anchor. All of us. And that anchor is hope. And so really, the, the bigger question here is this. Where are you casting your anchor? Where are you placing Your hope. What is your hope attached to? Now, of course, before we answer that question, we should talk about an anchor for a moment. What's its purpose? Uh, What's it supposed to do? What's it for? Well, it's supposed to give you stability and security and keep you from drifting away, especially in the face of life's storms. And for an anchor to make you secure, it has to have two things, okay? There have to be two things for an anchor to make you secure. It has to be firmly attached to you, right? It's got to be firmly attached to you. And also, it has to be able to go into a place that you cannot reach on your own. It's got to be firmly attached to you and then be able to go into a place that you cannot reach. And so this passage, of course, tells us that more than a a ship needs a physical anchor, that that we need an anchor for the soul. We need a spiritual anchor. But why? Because nothing in this world lasts. Nothing is secure. And yet all of us, every single person, we're all looking for something to secure, something secure to put our hope in. Something secure in which to place that anchor. Because you see, deep down, we all have a desire for something that is stable, for something that is lasting, secure, permanent. Something that will hold us fast no matter what we face. And there are really only three options for where we can cast that anchor. So we can put our hope, we can put our trust in ourselves. But I mean, we're all familiar enough to know that 
There's a lot of times we just can't get it figured out. We, we fail. We fall down. In fact, if our anchor is only in ourselves, then eventually we're just going to be isolated, alienated, alone. So we, we could also put our, our trust in others. And maybe in some other really good people. But no matter what, people eventually, we, we let each other down. If not intentionally, unintentionally. And at some point, either you or I will die first. And so that's not reliable. We can either put our anchor, put our hope in ourselves and others, or we could put our anchor, we could secure it into one who is beyond us, beyond ourselves, beyond others. We could put it not just in something, but in someone who is truly solid and secure. That is God himself our creator, and our redeemer. And you know, we all need hope to persevere because life is hard. Doesn't mean every day, every week, every month is hard, but overall there is a lot of hard in life, isn't there? And so this is the reason that the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing the Christian's hope in this passage. And it says here, it says that God wants us to have strong encouragement so that we might hold fast to the hope set before us, which we have as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So one of my, my favorite verses is Colossians 3.3. 3. And in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 3, it tells me that my life, is hid with Christ in God. That my life is sound and secure, that my life is hid with Christ in God, wrapped up and held secure in Him. And so that reality is the anchor for my soul. It is my sure and certain hope. And if you have fled to Jesus for refuge, then your life too is hid with Christ in God. And that sure and certain hope, in the words of one theologian, this hope is tethered to us by God's unchangeable, oath-bound promise, and it holds our hearts fast to Jesus Christ and the salvation that is ours in him. In other words, our anchor of hope is firmly embedded in the solid rock of Christ. No matter how great the storm, no matter what we faced, we are held secure with Christ in God. And what do we read here? Verse 19 says that Jesus has gone where? Behind the curtain. And of course, if you're familiar with the reference here, you know that, that the curtain, it, it is referring to the first century temple. Uh, what you would have seen if you went in uh, to the temple, the place of worship. And that that curtain divided something. That curtain was set before the most holy place, the place where God's very presence dwelt. A huge curtain that separated everything and everybody else from the most holy place. In, in other words, it was a barrier. And the message was clear. On the one side, the perfect holy God who is separate 
from sinful people. In other words, that barrier, that that curtain was a sign saying, you may not enter. But that's changed now, hasn't it? And that's good news because Jesus is our great high priest, which we're going to be talking a lot about in chapter 7. But Jesus is our great high priest. He has now gone behind the curtain and entered into the most holy place, verse 20, as a forerunner on our behalf. He's done it for us. You see, his finished work on the cross has paved the way for us so that we now can enter in and have access to God. Because you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross. You remember what happened to the curtain. It tore in two. It ripped from top to bottom, making very very clear that it was God who was doing it and making very clear that there is now no more separation. That in Christ we now have access to God. We can know intimate fellowship in the most holy place. Again, verse 20. Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And that is why our anchor of hope is secure. Okay, let's talk about that word for a minute, forerunner. Because it's really another nautical term. Obviously, the first one being anchor. But I didn't realize this word forerunner is also a a nautical term. Uh, The specific word used here is prodromos. Uh, Prodromos, that's the word uh, uh, translated as forerunner. And biblical scholar Lewis Talbot explains, The Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars, over which the larger ships dared not pass until the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the ship's anchor, went over the sandbar, and dropped it into the harbor. And from that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it still had to wait for the tide before it could fully enter the harbor. You see, the entrance of the first vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. You can see where this is going, I hope. Because for us in Christ, because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, he himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls in the very presence of God fully and forever. That's good news. A forerunner on our behalf. Another pastor says it well. And the great promises of God, secured in Christ, we therefore have a cable of salvation that nothing can break or destroy, so that we can be certain of arriving safe in the harbor of heaven. Can unforeseen circumstances break the line to this great anchor? Can the work of men, the temptations of the devil, or the hostility of the world sever a cord? Forged and emplaced by God himself, 
Can your very own sin break the line to this great anchor? And the answer to all of these is a definitive no. And why? Because God is greater than all of them and his oath shall overrule every single opposition. You see, what this is all about, friends, is that we are saved and we are safe because of God's oath-bound promise, secured and made fast by the finished work of Jesus. And so, brothers and, fa- brothers and sisters, that is why we now, we walk by faith, one day by sight, but now by faith. And as we walk by faith, let me encourage you with the writer of Hebrews, to hold fast. Hold fast to the hope set before us in Christ. For in Him, we are eternally safe and secure. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, oh Lord, how we thank You We thank you that you are our sure and steadfast hope. That in you we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. And oh Lord, how we ask now that you would help us to hold fast to you. Just as you hold fast to us. Both now and forever. Amen. Please stand.